Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Stavar Sietos is a retired firefighter turned herbalist in New York City. When Wilma, an abandoned and abused puppy, was dumped at his fire station, she could not walk and had suffered extreme neurological damage. Stavros brought Wilma home and was told over and over to euthanize her that she could not be saved. In a desperate attempt to save her, Stavros began studying herbs and became a very well-versed herbalist for both animals and humans alike. Through his determination and great love of Wilma, he was able to save her life and he has since retired from the force to dedicate his life to share his gift of using herbs to heal. Stavros and Wilma are a striking pair when you see them in New York City. Wilma is typically on Stavros' shoulders with her gorgeous tongue hanging out of her mouth. Stavros is a wealth of information about healing with herbs and hopes to help others through his experience with Wilma. When I first saw a photograph of Stavros, it was like this lumberjack, firefighter, this kind of man's man holding this beautiful pit bull with this huge tongue hanging out of her mouth. And then when I met Stavros, I was expecting, you know, this really tough guy, and he was just a softy, a teddy bear. And when he started speaking about how he healed Wilma and his love for herbs and all of this information that he started explaining, I was just blown away. All right, Stavros, welcome to Dog Save the People. Thanks, man. Just to get started, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Denver, Colorado. Did you have a dog growing up? No animals. I begged for them every Christmas and birthday, but they would never give me one. Interesting. Yeah. And then how did you find your way to New York City? My brother wanted to move to the city to work on uh, film sets, like the construction of them. Right. My parents begged me to drive him because they were mortified of New York. And is I he younger or older? He's younger. Uh-huh. You know, an 18-year-old kid in New York City is really cool. So I ended up not going back. Right. I was just supposed to drive him here. Wow. And how long ago was that? 1994. 24 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you find New York City after living, growing up in Denver? I found it to be very exciting. I found it to be very expensive and really, really a way to grow up really quick. Yes. Yes. I found New York, too, the same way. When I was first here, I was still in college, and I lived here for a summer working. And after that summer, I'm like, I can't live here. It's too expensive. And yet, I found myself back here a year later. But what I found was that it really caused me to grow up quickly And living in New York City, you're very much like, there's so much coming at you. You are forced, encouraged to really deal with your stuff pretty fast because otherwise you're just going to get stepped on or sucked in. A way to really learn about the beauty of all the types of people that are in this world. Yes. in one little place. Absolutely. And a place where you can just be yourself. And that's the thing. I mean, there's so much diversity here. I'm from Ohio. Not that there's diversity there, but I grew up in a very kind of Brady Bunch suburban environment. And coming here, you meet so many people from so many different parts of the world. It can be a very exciting place. Yes. So when you got to New York, what did you do? When I got to New York, 
I thought that all we had to do was go to Astoria and tell them that we were Greek. Uh-huh. And that they would tell us who's <laughs> renting an apartment and who needs help at some sort of job. Because that's kind of how the population worked in Colorado. Right. And it was a rude awakening. We were living in a youth hostel for a couple months and washing our clothes in a bathtub and really poor and really, really stressed out. You found your way into the world of firefighting. Tell me about that. I became a EMS. I took the fire exam before I became EMS. But EMS is less competitive, so you can get on the job quicker. So I figured while I was waiting, after I had taken the fire exam, which is open competitive, it's pretty tough to get on. I bet. So I went into EMS just in case my list number, which is your ranking from all your, you know, the tests you do, physical and mental, after they hire a few groups, you never know if they're going to stop that list and then you're done. So I went into EMS first, enjoyed it a lot. Pretty good about being efficient and kind when people are going mm-hmm. through stuff. And then I got called into a uh, fire. And right when I got out of the academy, a dog was dropped off at the firehouse. Really cute, funny walk, tongue hanging, the eyes drooping. But she was crapping her brains out, vomiting, having what I know now are epileptic episodes, and she didn't have pads on her paws. Is this your dog? This is my dog. This okay. is Wilma. This yeah. is Wilma. Okay. Yeah. So at what point in your career as a firefighter did she show up? I was a probie, probationary, just out of the academy. Okay. You're a probationary for a year. You know, the fire department is a pecking order, so mm-hmm. you don't really... As a probie, you keep your mouth shut. Right. And you drill for fires and you polish tools. So it's not like, oh, cute puppy, cute puppy. I loved her right away. Right. Yeah. But uh, I kept my mouth shut. Yeah. And then my captain wheeled her in in like a baby stroller and said he was going to have her put down. Mm. And that's when I spoke up and I said that I would take her. Tell me a little bit about what happened next. What happened next was like frequent visits to veterinarians three or four times a week. Mm -hmm. She was self-mutilating, meaning she was chewing herself nonstop, Uh which was really, really stressful. She would break the strongest 3M cones that they made. Uh, She was just really itchy and uncomfortable. Yeah. And I was just at the mercy of vets that were just trying to do their best to keep her from dying from infections. And then I started to call pet psychics because I was pretty much bankrupt at this point. Right. And that's when I said to myself, fuck it, I'm not going to vet vets anymore. I'm going to try to heal her myself, and if she stays, she stays. Yeah. Started an online obsession of just trying to figure out what I could use for her ailments. I started with a leaf called Comfrey Leaf, which is a cell proliferative basically grows new skin and I did a poultice one night I wrapped all her pads with it and in the morning I took the wrappings off and sure enough there was a super 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 thin brand new layer of skin and I got chills throughout my whole body Uh and I knew that like oh my god here I've been putting this like antibiotic stuff and what is this all about yeah I went after her digestive system because if you're not assimilating and detoxifying properly you will never be healthy and then i started using a class of herbs called immunomodulators 
which balance the hyperinflammatory immune response, which could be anything from psoriasis to Crohn's to any inflammatory immune response. And those were really when she really just, everything stopped and she just became a special needs kind of normal animal. Wow. She's still compromised, but they had all told me to put her down mm -hmm. nine years ago. Wow. And she is um, pretty fucking amazing. So do you have advice for people who maybe are at the end of their road with working with a vet? And again, I love vets. I love my vet and she's amazing. But sometimes it takes a different approach. Is there a way that you can recommend that's maybe more integrative? Yeah, I would say to look at the American Holistic Veterinary Association, mm -hmm. the AHVMA. AHVMA. Yeah, and you basically put in your zip code and they will give you a list of integrative veterinarians. All of them have Western medicine training. So they're all Western medicine veterinarians that have gone the extra mile to learn the healing properties of plants. Okay, because I know that, I mean, be, to become a vet is even more challenging than to become a human doctor yeah. at this point. They don't it's offer holistic training in vet school. Right. None of them do. So it's something that they take that extra yes. step. Yeah, which it's great to have the best of both worlds. Absolutely. I mean, Western medicine is heroic. Yes. It's also barbaric, but it is heroic. Mm -hmm. It stops a process that's happening in the body. Yes. Plants address why it's happening and how to heal that process. And this is something that now you're using for yourself. And you're sharing with other people. You're sharing with other people that are working with animals. Oh, yeah. You work with people and their pets yes. and you work with them treating their dogs yes with herbs yep so it's pretty much like any kind of consultation give me this for that mm -hmm. condition is a very western medicine approach so i'm pretty selective on who i take on right because herbalism is about healing the body right which is the difference between getting a personal trainer and going to the gym or getting liposuction right uh so for people that are actually willing to address dietary changes that might be necessary a lot of my clients are actually dogs with cancer interesting uh, so sometimes it's just protecting the organs while in chemo it's a very personalized case by case yeah is how herbalism works sounds very interpretive and, and so are some of them more open to making these changes yeah, because if they're not, I tell them that they should continue with what they were doing. Right. And how do people find you? It's all word of mouth. Interesting. Do you work with clients that are outside of the city, or is it a lot of it yeah, on the phone? Yeah, I do a lot of phone and Skype sessions right. also. Yeah. And are you open to treating humans as well? Yeah, I treat humans also. Okay. I just uh, have a soft spot for animals. Yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. And so, in a way, Wilma came into your life and... Not only did she teach you so much about love, but she also helped you find this vocation that is so specific and so true to who you are deep down. Absolutely. She aligned me with my true path. Wow. You know, EMS was, you got to be really, really quick, but you got to be heart-centered in EMS. Yes, too. yes. Fire, you got to be really tactical, really tactical. This path is a lot more heart-centered, a little less more thumping of your chest with your fists. Right. A lot more innate wisdom. Right. I'm really lucky 
I feel like this has been such an amazing experience. Yeah. When somebody has a dog that's not feeling well and the dog can't tell them what's going on, it's very frustrating and very scary. And so to have somebody like yourself that has this beautiful background of EMS, firefighting, and also the whole story with Wilma and what she has taught you to be able to apply that and to help assuage the fears and the anxiety of these people is really very powerful. Did she have the name when she came or did you name her Wilma? I believe they called her Chloe. Mm -hmm. And I tried calling a bunch of Greek names at her. Right. And when I said Wilma is when she came, so she named herself. And that's kind of how it happens. It really is. This connection that you have with her, but also just this spiritual journey that you've been on the spiritual journey of healing, allowing yourself to be loved, learning how to love. I do believe that there's a message there. And I believe that our love of dogs and the love that they get back to us, it is this interesting opportunity, this gateway to opening ourselves up to the idea of taking care of all animals and treating all animals with love and respect. Yeah, I mean, if you observe, they all feel pain and emotion and love and everything we do. What kind of dog is Wilma, do you think? I believe she's a pit bull. Okay. Yeah. And how old do you think she is? She's 10. Okay. She's 10 years old. So when she came in, she was a... She was a puppy. Yeah. And she was already damaged. Oh, yeah. So during that process, I would say that she really taught me how to be loved. I would lay in bed with her pads in my hands, Mm -hmm. and that's how we would fall asleep. And she taught me how to run love from my heart out of my hands into her pads with visualizations. And that was really powerful. When I first got her, when I'd look into her eyes, she would look away. It was a mutual experience of two people that needed to break down some walls Mm -hmm. of trust and love. Wow. And so that's, for me, the biggest part of all of this is I'll be able to take that with me. You can accept love. You're not going to unlearn how to accept love. Right, right. That's incredible. Eventually, did she start kind of connecting with you visually? Yes. uh, She always trusted me from day one as far as, like, she would lay on her back and put her feet up for me to do anything I Mm -hmm. needed to do, even if it stung even if it sucked. Yeah. Um, But as far as that bond, that took a little time. She also kept me out of Greek drama mode because I cried a lot with Uh her. And she wanted nothing to do with me when I was bawling or when I was Interesting. She only would engage me when I was dancing around and trying to make her feel better. Wow. By trying to entertain her. But when I go into my deep depression, she would uh, reject me and want nothing to do with me. That's that's fascinating. So she really kept me on track, having a positive outlook. Wow. Because I didn't have a choice because she would reject me otherwise. Wow, that's, in, that's intense. Because yeah. I always have this feeling like if I'm having a rough day or if I'm crying, I've had the experience where my dogs will come and lick me and they'll know something's wrong and they'll sit on my lap. But that's like the exact opposite. In a sense, she knew that that was not going to serve you. Yeah. And so Wilma now is around 11. And I've seen you walking around New York City with her on your shoulders. Yeah. And actually, the first time that I ever saw you was a beautiful photograph of you that our friend Richard Phibbs had taken. Do people stop you in the street and ask you about Wilma? 
I think that people are confused. Uh huh. She obviously gets tired, and she's super enthusiastic, so she can hurt herself very easily. Right. So I don't let her run around on the hard concrete that much. Yeah. So I carry her to a park area and carry her back. Yeah. But it's always been like that with her yeah. deformities, mm-hmm. just to keep the inflammation at bay. Yeah. And you believe that she's pretty much pain-free now? You know, as it's, much ha- as- it's hard to know. They're not like us. One little paper cut and we're acting like it's the worst day in the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, from just her enthusiasm, I think that she is doing just fine. Yeah. And do you feel, I find this, again, with many dogs, whether they're rescue or not, but I do know in my life, having rescued dogs before, there is this very palpable sense of gratitude that I sense from those dogs. There do you is feel so that with much her? appreciation. There's so much appreciation. Yeah. And you just know. It's like the hug you get from somebody that you just did something wonderful for. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And she can look you in the eye now. Absolutely. Now, you recently, this summer, you went out to Utah to the Best Friends Animal Society Sanctuary. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, they have about 1,800 animals Mm -hmm. that they're constantly adopting out. The ones that don't get adopted out live their lives in beautiful, accommodating facilities just for them and for what they've gone through. It's a network of a lot of volunteers, a lot of other animal shelters, They have horses and cows and different types of birds and dogs and cats and reptiles and wild animals. And And were you out there for a specific program? I was out there for uh, how to have an animal sanctuary program, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, which then opened my eyes into seeing that you actually are a full-time restaurant, a long-term hotel, a geriatric unit, Uh a neonatal unit, an emergency unit, a networking unit volunteer unit so uh you know before i went i thought i was going to be an old wizard on a mountain with my animals that i had rescued but which i think is a fantasy for many animal lovers yeah once i went there i saw that to actually be successful you really have to be really organized and have a bunch of stuff in place many people that i know that again would love to create a sanctuary would love to have their own shelter would like to help and serve in that way Would you recommend that they go out to Best Friends? Absolutely. It was about 40 hours of just classroom. Mm -hmm. Not even, nothing to do with the animals. Right. Just the business side. The reality. The realities of it. It was so much knowledge. And they also had went bankrupt many times. Really? And so now they're doing it right. And they're they're generously sharing how to, which is great. Oh, that's great. it's for the love of animals. They want people to do it successfully. That's wonderful. Instead of people tearing their hair out. Because most people that are into animal rescue are very Mm heart-centered and can really sacrifice themselves. And it can be really stressful and burdensome to take on sick animals, needy animals, hard time saying no and stuff like that. It's a great program. What does it mean to you to be a dog person? I think animal people have a tendency to be more connected to all that there is. They have a tendency, I believe, to be more compassionate people Mm -hmm. in general. What are the biggest ways that you think dogs comfort us? I think that their affection and enthusiasm and their unconditional love and dedication is something that you can't find anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And where do we find you on Instagram? 
Urban Herbalist NYC okay. is my Instagram name. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. Hearing Starburst's story really felt to me like someone who found their true calling, their life purpose, because of a dog. He had a professional career in EMS, as well as a firefighter, but then Wilma came along and everything changed. His life changed in so many ways, not only in his career shift into working with herbs and healing, but also in his whole philosophy on life and the compassion we have for each other. His bond with Wilma is a beautiful story, and while Stavros saved Wilma's life, it's clearly obvious that she rescued him as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio, and it's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, please leave a review or rating. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.